0: Time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenley. The dangers of cave life. Let's pray, Lord. I ask you to unfold before us tonight the challenge of living in that disciplined place. I ask, mighty God of heaven, that you would rescue your people, not just in this fellowship, but, Lord, rescue your people across this city. Stir and bring deep conviction of heart. Order our steps. Call us once more into your heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. Tonight, I'd like to deal with the three dangers of cave life. Now you say, why cave life, pastor? Well, it's about David. David was ordained king. The oil of anointing was upon him. He was to be king over Israel. Problem is, there's already a sitting king. And this sitting king, Saul by name, does not have the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. In fact, God has sent an evil spirit to torment this man. He has been rejected by God. He has walked in disobedience before God, and the power of God has been withdrawn from him. But he is the king over Israel. And so he immediately begins to recognize that David has the anointing of God on his life. But instead of saying, this is a wonderful anointing, his heart grows very bitter. He hears the chanting of the young maidens as they sing their song, saying, David has killed his ten thousands, but Saul just his thousands. And envy rises up in his heart. And with the javelin, he tries to pin David to the wall of the palace. He tries to kill him. Now, I need to speak about these dangers of cave life because David could die. His life was being threatened. And if he didn't walk carefully before the Lord God of heaven, he would perish. Now, we need to look at these lessons because every person in this room has been called by the Lord Jesus Christ to be a priest in the house of the Lord. We've been called to be servants of Jesus Christ. The anointing spirit is on every person in this room. You have been convicted of your sins. You have begun the process of turning away from those sins. The only way a person can turn aside from his sin is at the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So that anointing is on you and is calling you out of your sin. Now, there are grave dangers that face us after the anointing of God begins to work in our heart and convict us of our sin, and we begin to turn away. These are the grave dangers that David faced. Of course, we all want to look to a person of authority and, and responsibility. We want to look to somebody and say, am I doing all right? Well, that person will usually kill you because they're jealous. So one of the first things that David had to learn was that he could not look to the king and to the palace. He had to look to his maker. As soon as you set somebody up on that pedestal, either they're going to try to kill you or you're going to try to kill them. The only reason you put somebody on the pedestal is to knock them off. And if they don't live up to your expectations, then you've got to knock them off or they've got to knock you off. Well David said I'm not going to king I'm not going to kill the king he's the lord's anointed I've got to run and so he escaped with his life leaving his precious wife he ran for his life now the first danger of cave life is that you will die if you do not seek the lord god of heaven you won't make it if you don't seek the lord god of heaven with all of your heart You are now at a point in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ where there is only safety in a continued day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, crying out of your heart for the Lord God of heaven to come and rescue you and protect you. The moment you begin to pull back and you no longer cry out for that with the same intensity, you begin To walk into that place of death. You go to sleep, and the enemy has you. And so we see all through this story of, of David as he runs from Saul, that he is being forced time after time to cry out to the Lord God of heaven. And as he cries out to the Lord God of heaven, the Lord answers him about everyday things. For example, Uh, David has now men who are gathering about him. These are the men who are in distress. They're they're in debt. Uh, They're discontented. They gather around him, and he becomes their leader, and it's about 400 discontented misfits who gather around David. Now, don't make the mistake of thinking these are weaklings, just because they're misfits. These are mighty soldiers who know how to swing the sword. Well, there's a a town of Israel by the name of Kila in the 23rd chapter of 1 Samuel, and the Philistines are fighting against this town. They're looting their threshing floors, and he has a heart to deliver God's people from their affliction. But he doesn't simply go out in the boldness of his strength with 400 men and try to deliver this town. Instead, he seeks the Lord. And he says, Lord, should I go? And the Lord said, go. Go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. David's men, on the other hand, say, we can't do that. That would be utterly foolish. Don't risk everything you have for the kingdom of God. Don't risk going against the Philistines. They're powerful. Well, David again goes to the Lord, and he says in 23 verse 4, Once again David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men, at the direction of the Lord, go to Keilah, They they utterly decimate the Philistines. They deliver God's people. And Saul says, now this is the time, perfect time to attack. You've just had a victory. Now let's kill him. So he again goes to the Lord and he asks the Lord, what shall I do in this situation? The Lord answers, yes, Saul is going to come. Will they hand me over to Saul? Yes, they will hand you over to Saul. These ungrateful people, ungrateful. The Lord says they're going to give them over. He and his men flee at the command of God. Now, please hear me. When you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to be asked to make decisions. You're going to be asked to do things. And your friends are going to say to you, That would be absolutely insane. That would threaten your family. That will threaten your well-being. That would threaten your job. Don't do it. If you listen to them, you'll be killed. You've got to go back to the Lord, and you've got to say, Lord, did I hear correctly from you? Is this what you want me to do? Is this a course of action you want me to pursue? Because I'm only going to go where you tell me to go I'm only going to do what you tell me to do. I'm only going to obey your voice. I'm not going to obey anybody's voice, but your voice. All that I am, all that I have, my hope for the kingship, everything I desire is tied up in what you want for me and for what you want for your people. So, Lord, you tell me what to do. So, now let's be very specific You're in a job. You're not real happy with the job. The Philistines offer you a better job. And now you say, go get in that pig trough and make it. Or you say, Lord God of heaven, do I take this course of action? Do I move in this way? Do I take this? Now, let me be clear about something. Before you mature too much in the walk with Jesus Christ... That job may come, and the Lord will so move on your heart that you won't step into it. The restraining power of the Holy Spirit will be upon your life, and you won't take that step that would have led you a totally different path and would have blocked you from being pressing into Jesus Christ. But after you're conscious, after you have the anointing of God on your life, after you've begun to turn away from your sin, Now he's waiting for you to come to him and ask him, what do I do about that job? What do I do about these finances? What do I do? Lord God, I'm not going to listen to the crowd that's around me telling me what I should do, what's going to be best for me. Lord, I won't listen to them. I'm going to listen to you. What are you saying to me, Lord? And I'm not going to step one foot toward Keilah until the Lord God of heaven says, I will give it into your hand. Now, you understand, what I'm saying is insanity to worldly people, because they're going to operate by what their mind tells them is the best course of action. They're going to be prudent in their actions. Christians are not prudent in their actions. Christians are obedient to the Holy Spirit and they trust prudence with the Holy Ghost. He knows what course of action is required. They are going to walk in the action required by the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are going to have great trouble with this because at every hand, your wisdom will leap forward and say, that is absolutely insane. And I need to step into that. I need to get my hands around the throat of that person. I need to straighten this deal out. That's why our brother David, when he called on the radio, spoke about being a predator. predator is simply someone who is going to come and prey on those, make mincemeat of those around him in order to prove how smart he is and how much he knows about what should be done. So a person who is following Jesus Christ is not going to be a predator. That wolf nature is going to be exposed. It's going to be cut off. We're going to have a lamb-like nature. We're going to be like Jesus, not like the devil. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. Jesus never is our accuser. And so the first danger of cave life is that I will not seek the Lord God of heaven. I will walk in my own flesh and I will die. And I can't tell you how many men and women I have seen begin this walk. And then it got tough. And God asked them to do something they didn't want to do. And they said no. And slowly, like the water sweeping in, It washed away their foundation, and soon their whole house crumbled because they would not obey the word of the Lord to their heart. I spoke with a pastor just two nights ago, and he described a person who came into his prayer room, Pastor John Hall in Ohio. He described how this person came in and sat down, and Pastor John said to him, What can I pray for you about? What would you like to hear from God? Well, he looked at him. He sat and just stared at him for a minute. And then he said, I don't need to hear from God. I already know what I'm supposed to do. Pastor John said, go do it. And that was the end of the appointment. I mean, if you know what God wants you to do, go do it or you will die. And this young man did not want to cut off the liaison relationship he had with a young lady. He didn't want to take certain action steps that God was calling him to take to get clean before the Lord God of heaven. You see, this is not a sentimental deal. It's not a a feeling deal. It's just cut cold. The word of God comes to your heart and then you have to answer yes or no. Yes, I will step in obedience to the Lord God of heaven, or no, I will not. Now, you can cover that deal up in all kinds of sly moves. But the bottom line is, either you are choosing in your heart to walk in obedience to the commands Jesus is whispering into your spirit, or you are choosing to walk in rebellion to God. And if you're walking in rebellion after the anointing power has already come, you will die. Now, there is a second danger to cave life. You remember, David had to flee to the strongholds of En Gedi. He lived in the desert. He lived in caves. It was into such a cave that King Saul came and decided to take a nap. And David and his men had an opportunity to kill him. But he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And so he withheld that murderous attack. See, in this cave life, there is, a, there is another grave danger. I'm not going to put it in a very pretty way. Let me put it very practically. The second great danger of cave life is that you will do something stupid and bring judgment upon yourself. Ugh. That you will do something stupid and bring judgment upon yourself. Judgment from God. Now, we find... David is faced with that. David has moved down to the desert area, and in that area there were sheep that were grazing, and he decided to take upon himself the responsibility of sending his men out to guard the sheep because he was, after all, the shepherd. And he cared for these sheep, and he guarded them from marauders and thieves and wild animals. We find in the 25th chapter of 1 Samuel, that, that Nabal was the owner of these sheep, but he didn't talk with Nabal. He just protected the sheep. And then he heard that Nabal was shearing the sheep. And he thought, now this will be a good time for me to send my men to get a handout, get a little reward for the work we've done. And so he sends his young men over to collect a reward from Nabal. And they come to him, and they say in verse 6, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep-shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel. Nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men. Since we come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David, whatever you can find for them. I mean, it sounds like panhandling 101. Well, David gives this message through his young men, and Nabal answers in verse 10. This is 1 Samuel 25, verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Well, how did he know this was the son of Jesse? Because David didn't say that. Then he says, many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? Well, was he ever insulted? Now, how can you dare treat me this way? Don't you know who I am? I am anointed king over Israel. Well, son, you're out in the caves panhandling. Well, don't you know I'm someone you best respect and treat with dignity? You know, when you speak to me, you speak respectfully. I may not have much, but I have my pride. David was hot. I mean, the the worst passions of the human heart were stirred up. I mean, he was... On fire with rage. And he said to his men, now strap your swords on. We're going to go teach this man a lesson. They strapped their swords on. And 400 men headed for the revenge. Now you understand what's happening. David is about to wipe out Nabal's family. And if he does, he will not become king over Israel. Because there is only one way bloodshed can be forgiven. And that is by the shedding of the blood of the one who commits the murder. And so the kingship of Israel now hangs in the balance. Now what I want you to see is the grave danger of cave life is that we will allow rage to rise up in our hearts or lust to rise up in our hearts or we will allow some other sin to rise up in our hearts and move us to do something that will cause God to have to withdraw from us. The joy, the overwhelming joy of awakening in the morning with a clean conscience, of awakening in the morning and not feeling like you were beat up, Awakening in the morning and having a song of joy come out of your heart, grateful to God that he's given you another day to serve him, knowing that you're going to go about your daily activities that day directly in step with the direction of the Holy Spirit, that you're not walking by yourself, you're not walking in your flesh, you're walking day by day in the anointing of the Spirit of God and he's opening the ways before you. His pleasure is upon you. I mean, that is such an awesome way to live our lives, knowing that there is nothing between our heart and the heart of Jesus. That as soon as he shows us something, we immediately confess that sin, break it by the power of the blood, get clean, get right, keep a short account with God. Such an awesome way to live. Versus this, unconscious deadness, this dry orthodoxy, knowing we're right intellectually, but knowing our hearts are filled with coldness and disobedience and rebellion, knowing that we have made money our security, or we've made somebody our security, or we've made something our security, instead of just walking in the glorious freedom of Jesus Christ. Now David, murder in his eyes is ready to commit bloodshed. And if he does it, he will not be the next king over Israel. He will be cursed by God. And all of his desert time, all of his discipline, everything that's happened in the past will be just wiped away. And you will say, that was a pot that God tried to form. It was a cracked pot. He just threw it out on the potter's field. Just the shreds are left. I suspect tonight that some of you feel that's already happened in your life. I suspect that some of you tonight already feel like you've already sinned so against God. How could he ever forgive you? How could he ever take you back? If it were human flesh, it'd be over. But it's not. The word says today is the day of salvation. And that day still remains, according to Hebrews. So you have not sinned away. But what may have happened is you may have walked in some ways and in some sins that have caused you to be numbed out, caused you to be dull of spirit. You have fed those lions in your life until now they're raging at you and you're almost despairing of ever having the victory Oh, remember what happened with Daniel. The Lord God of heaven came and closed those lions' mouths. Pray. I just want to say to you pray. Get on your face before God. Confess that sin. Ask the Lord God of heaven if he would come and close the lions' mouths and spare you. He is a God of mercy. We are saved by his shed blood. So tonight, don't delay. If you've done something stupid, if you've done it time after time, don't condemn yourself, but get back to his table. He said, I'm going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. You know who your enemies are, your sins, your sins. You're going to feast with Jesus Christ, and your sins can't touch you. Well, you remember the story. Nabal was married to this beautiful woman. Her name was Abigail. And one of the servants told Abigail about what was happening. And Abigail lost no time. We find in verse 18 that she took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. I mean, she emptied the cupboard. Mother's cupboard, her cupboard was bare. Then she told her servants, go on ahead and I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. She came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine. I mean, can you imagine anything so touching? All of these donkeys loaded with food and this beautiful young lady coming riding on her donkey. She meets David. She falls at his feet. David has just been saying in his heart, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He's paid me back, evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. I mean, when we're in a rage like that, we'll even use God's name to justify our sin. I mean, God made me do it. This is God's will. I'm going to put them in their place. I'm going to call down fire on them. And then Abigail shows up. Now, what I want you to know is that God knows how to get your attention. He knows how to get your attention to turn your murderous anger aside. How many times I've been beside myself and I've said, all of this trusting in God, all of this work on the radio, all of this struggle for the net, it's all useless. I'm going to go do something else. Just at the precise time when I would have turned aside, the Lord has had an Abigail riding into my life. That situation or those circumstances that God knows will soothe my heart and cause me to recognize the sin that I'm about to commit. I mean, I just stand here tonight and confess I praise God for the restraining power of the Holy Ghost. Now, he knew how David was wired, and he knew how moved he would be by this young woman's appeal to his heart. And she speaks. Oh, listen to her. Oh, you've got to to listen to this. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David... She quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. I mean, is that salving his wild beast? Here's someone showing him great respect. (laughs) My Lord, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Who's going to blame beautiful Abigail for anything? Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is fool, and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all you intend to harm My master, be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battles. I mean, she's saying, I know you're going to be king. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Now, praise God. For that message that comes ringing into your heart that says, Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Don't go do this wicked thing. How will you ever live through this? And he sends such a beautiful prophet. Now, let me say just one brief side note God will not always send a beautiful prophet. <laughs> The first time or two, yes, but if you persist in that course of action, he'll send a Nathan. There was nothing beautiful about Nathan. He came and just pointed his finger and said, you are the man and your son is going to die. So don't take lightly those first beautiful messages. Don't turn aside from those, lest a Nathan come and speak to your heart. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Oh, is this talking to David? (laughs) I mean, she is very subtly saying, do you remember God gave you victory over Goliath? It was your sling. May all of your enemies fall like Goliath fell. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised, consecrating him, concerning him, and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, Remember me, your servant. Or how about marrying me? She already knows that God's judgment will fall on Nabal. God has already spoken into her heart and said, Nabal's a dead man. And he was. She went home and she told Nabal what had happened with David. He was stricken, could not speak. And but a few days later, the Lord touched his life, took it. And he was a dead man. And David sent for Abigail, come to the cave and be my wife. And she loaded up everything she could carry with her servants and went to the cave to live with David. But I want to bring you back to verse 31. My master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. Tonight on my part, there are sins that I have committed against God. And I've taken that burden of sin from even my early days as a child. I've taken that sin to the throne of grace. But I have to tell you, even though I know the Lord has totally forgiven me for those sins, there's still a grieving in my heart. There yet remains an awareness of what I did and how I shamed Jesus. And that's a burden on my heart. There's a loathing of myself for my sin. My dad, when he was dying, the nurses kept coming into his, into his room where he was bedridden and he'd be out on his knees on the floor, crying on his face unto the Lord. And he was reviewing all of those things of the past and making sure they were covered by the blood. He didn't care about getting well. He cared about getting clean. He wanted everything taken care of. He wanted every burden of sin removed from his heart. That's all he cared about for the last week of his life. And finally, just before he died, he utterly rested in Jesus and with great peace and joy was able to enter into the presence of the Lord. John Wesley, laying on his deathbed for the last week of his life, A steady stream of visitors came into his bedroom where he was laying at home on that deathbed. For every person, he was able to reach out to them and urge them to be ready to go to heaven because he was going to go there and he wanted to see him there. He knew he was departing this earth. He had another destination and he was on his way and nothing was going to hinder him. From taking that trip with Jesus, everything was under the blood. And somebody came by and they said to him, Now, now Brother Wesley, you always taught that we could live without any sin. Have you gotten there yet? He said, Oh, no. But it's still possible. But I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus. Now, I, I say this to you uh, one of the dangers of cave life is that we will do something stupid and bring God's judgment down on our lives and that as we then live out the rest of our lives, even though that thing was covered by the blood of Jesus, we will forever carry the burden of that craziness in our hearts. We will carry the weight of that sin. There will be a scar in our spirit and I just urge you tonight, seek after the Lord as we walk through this journey, not becoming casual, not letting anything be taken for granted. Don't let that sin rise up and devour you, but instead turn aside from it, that you would, not that you would be lost if you commit this sin, but that you will be spared the agony of having to go through the wiping out of that sin by the blood of Jesus. That you will be spared the agony of the confession. You'll be spared the agony of carrying in your mind the memory of this horrible thing, the sorrow that you know you have caused to the heart of Jesus to walk consciously, boldly, and I say this especially to those of you who are young. You will one day be 50. You will one day be 60. You too will reach this time of life. You too will finally look back over your life. And I pray your life will be an honor to Jesus without a whole bunch of mess that has to be cleaned up. Now, there is a third danger that we must speak about tonight of the cave life. And that's found in 1 Samuel, the 27th chapter. David finally grows tired of running. And he begins to think to himself. Always a great danger sign. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Some of you have said in your heart, if I keep searching after God, I'm going to miss out on so much. I'm going to miss out, and I don't want to miss out. And so I better go over and have a conversation with the Philistines about how I can work things out with them so that I don't miss out on everything. Now, the danger is that I will get cozy with these Philistines And I will be entangled with them so that when they go to war against God's people, I will be expected to go to war also against God's people. And so David joins the Philistines. He lives in Ziklag. And when the Philistine people go to war with Israel, it is expected that David and all of his men will march with the Philistines and he now has to lie to the Philistines and say, now you'll see what your servant can do. Hence when is David the servant of the Philistines? I thought he was fighting Goliath to defend the name of the Almighty God. And now here he is in bed with the Philistines. How can you take a man who stands and kills the giant of the Philistines And a few years later, find that same man cozied up in bed with the Philistines. Well, it's simple. He simply tried to think through what his problems were and find the best possible solution because he stopped seeking the Lord God of heaven. Now, where is this transition point in your life where you finally stop turning and asking God and say, I can't afford to ask God any longer about this. I need to just step into my action. If I don't take action, I'm going to miss these opportunities. And God would obviously never want me to miss an opportunity. After, God, after all, God is an entrepreneur too. And he wants me to prosper. God wants for me the very best so it's up to me to make sure I go and get it. So step forward and call it faith. Step forward and say, God bless me as I step forward in this venture. Play bass. God, expand my tents. Don't mind that I have to kill a few people to expand them. <laughs> Don't mind that I have to cozy up to the Philistines in order to get their cooperation. After all, God knows I can't live like this. God knows that I have to get a change in my life. I'm hard-pressed. Cave life is tough. I I want a different house to live in. I'm tired of this damp, dank cave. I'm tired of sleeping on the ground and having campfires. How about a regular house for a while? You know, all I want is a piece of the American pie. And I want a big serving of it, thank you. Well, now David is in league with the Philistines. He's marching with his weapons, saying he is going to join the Philistines and he's going to kill God's people. And he's the king of Israel. Now, fortunately, some of the Philistines had wisdom and they rebuked David for coming and sent him home. Now, Christians are really in serious trouble when God has to use a Philistine to rebuke them and tell them to go back to their heritage. But again, the restraining power of the Holy Spirit is so awesome and so wonderful that he'll even speak to a donkey if he has to. He will restrain us from the course of action that will cause us to totally destroy our lives. In his mercy and his grace, he'll even speak through a Philistine. He'll kill him tomorrow, but today he'll speak through him. So David goes home, and when he comes home, he discovers that the Amalekites have raided the Negev and Ziklag, and that they have taken everyone captive, and they have burned the town. And so I want you to get the picture. David has said, Look, I'm tired of this dark, Dark, dank cave life. I'm going to go get myself a regular house. I want a town to live in. I want a little shopping area to live with. I want some benefits here. And so God sends the Amalekites to burn it down. The Amalekites always come on our lives as judgment from God because we've gotten too cozy with the Philistines. Have you ever felt the wrath of the Amalekites? This fierce, warlike people who show no mercy, who sweep in and want to take everything you have and your life too. David's men are so heartbroken, they want to stone David to death. They want to kill him. Now, I want to share with you one of the most awesome passages of scripture. And if you don't have it underlined in red, do so. This is in the 30th chapter of 1 Samuel. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. And then David said to Abathur the priest, bring me the Fodh. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? And the Lord answered, pursue them. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And David then goes and has a mighty battle against the Amalekites, killing and destroying them, recapturing all of his family and all of the family members of his men. And now I want you to see what he does. He takes of that war booty and does not claim it for himself, but sends gifts to God's people. Now, you know when God has moved in somebody's heart, when he delivers them from the Amalekites and their heart response is, I don't want anything for myself. I'm going to pour myself out for God's people. Now you know he's ready to become king. Until the Agony and the the discipline of God upon us is so heavy that the oil that flows from us is no longer self-centered anger. It's no longer being a victim. Now the oil that flows from us is compassion for our brothers. Now we know we're ready to be used by God. When the discipline of God comes on your life, And you say, how can you treat me this way, God? You know you're not ready to leave the cave. The discipline of God comes down on you for the sin you know you've walked in. And you turn into a victim. You know you're not ready yet to serve as king. It's when that crushing comes. As it came on Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know that stone, the Gethsemane stone in the Garden of of Gethsemane, they pressed the olives and they they captured the precious oil that flowed. And they did so by lowering a heavy stone down onto the bags of olives, crushing them. That stone was called the Gethsemane stone. And as God lowers that stone down onto you and begins to crush all of your hopes and desires, all of your dreams, as he begins to lower that, and it crushes you. If bitterness flows out, you've got more cave time. If complaining flows out, if, if self-justification flows out, if anger flows out, if, if a spirit of the wolf flows out, you know you need more cave time. But if what comes flowing out of your life is the sweet oil of the Holy Ghost, saying, how can I pour myself out for my husband? How can I pour myself out for my wife? How can I pour myself out for my children? How can I pour myself out for the lost? How can I not hold anything back but pour it all out for Jesus? Then you're ready to move into the palace, and you're ready to be king. That's the process the Lord has us in at the national prayer And I've been praying that the Lord would lower the Gethsemane stone on your hearts and that what would flow forth from that stone would not be bitterness and anger and frustration, hardness of heart, but what would flow out of your heart would be compassion for others, a rising up in your heart of, of compassion for the city of Washington a rising up of conviction and that you would step into obedience and do what he's asking you to do. For some of you, it's, it's just that he's asking you to come and set some time apart each day where you just come and be in his presence. For some of you, he's asking you to deal differently with your wife or your husband. For some of you, he's asking you to turn aside from all of those sins that you've been walking in. For some of you, he's asking you to make great financial sacrifice. And as you step in and you do what Jesus is asking you to do, as that Gethsemane stone is lowered on you, if the oil flows, then the Lord God of heaven is praised and his kingdom is built and we are delivered. Tonight, what's in your heart? Are you being hard pressed? If you're not, I pray you will be sinned. I pray that Gethsemane stone will be lowered upon us and that the oil of the Holy Spirit will flow from our hearts. The Lord wants us as people to be broken bread and poured out wine for the city of Washington. He wants us to no longer be concerned about self-preservation. He wants us to be concerned about the lost and the dying. How's your heart? Have you had enough of cave life? Or have you gone off and gotten cozy with the Philistines? Almighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords, I ask you, send Abigails into our lives. Lord God, send Nathans into our lives. Lord, deal with our hearts in whatever way you must deal to turn us aside. And Lord God, don't let us get cozy with the Philistines But Lord God, cause us to dwell in your presence and to let that rock of crushing come down upon us that the oil of your spirit would flow from our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Have the victory. Be exalted, almighty God. Be exalted, Jesus, son of the living God. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're located in Woodbridge, Virginia, and you can visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.
1: Lord. All I have is yours to use in any way you choose. You are Lord of all, so how can I say